Broadcasting live from a grave, this is The Monstrous Feminine, the podcast where horrible humans talk about horror. My name is Taya, and I'm joined by my zombies, Mila, Louisa, and Zeba. And this month's theme is voodoo. Before we get into the film, go ahead and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, or the Apple Podcast app. You can find all of our links on our Instagram at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast. This month, we're going to be talking about the 1988 film The Serpent and the Rainbow, directed by Wes Craven, the 1997 film Eve's Bayou, directed by Cassie Lemons, and the 2011 season three of American Horror Story Coven, directed by Bradley Buecher. We'll also be interviewing a special guest writer and producer, Ariadne Knight, on voodooism and hoodooism for our bonus Patreon episode, so be sure to visit our page and pledge so you can listen. Our first voodoo film is The Serpent and the Rainbow, which is about Dennis, an American anthropologist who has been hired by a big pharmaceutical company to travel to Haiti and obtain a mysterious powder that appears to zombify its ingestants for the purpose of mass-producing it into an alternative for an anesthetic. Dennis is shown around Haiti by Dr. Marielle, a psychiatrist who introduces Dennis to the zombie patient Christophe, who reappeared seven years after his apparent death and burial. Amidst a revolution against President Duvalier, Dennis attempts to track down the powder, but he is continuously threatened by Captain Petrard, the commander of the Special Operations Unit, and Bacor, who has been creating zombie slaves and capturing their souls. Yes, he is the one to watch. Captain Petrol. Please, being a booker the black magician is beneath contempt. He's a chief of the Tonto Mokut, Dubaye's secret police. You have seen him before, perhaps, hmm? Yeah, someplace. Be careful, my friend. In Haiti, there are secrets we keep even from ourselves. So you want to talk about kinks? Is that our ketchup? Uh, kinks. Yeah, our ketchup's kinks. Um, what are yours? Okay, no, no, no. I'm just kidding. Basically, I just thought that there, there are some. The torture scenes a little fruity. When, it, <laughs> when he was like, "What do you want from me?" Because he was like offering him money, and he was like, "What do you want from me?" He was like, "I want to hear you scream." And I was like, "This looks very BDSM. Like, I don't think that was what was intended." I mean, that whole scene, like, leading up to the torture scene, well, he was already kind of torturing him. But he was like, you have a beautiful white face. Do you like your face? Tell me you like it. I was like, um, I'm imagining someone writing this in a script and I'm wondering what was, what was the point? I'm gonna be real, y'all. I'm gonna be real, y'all. You're blowing my mind right now. I didn't, I didn't. (laughs) See, I feel like you say that every episode. I don't watch the same movies as y'all, I think. Like, I'm always... I'm like, well, yes, now I see it. But I was just... I was just like, well, that's just how power is. That's just how men are. Yeah, I mean, also, like, his obsession with doing the torture back to him. Like, that whole hallucination. Like, he was already, like, defeated. We had a whole hallucination just so he could then, like, touch... Stab through his balls and banish him to hell. And I was like... None of this was necessary. It feels like quite literally like a masculine ego like battle thing because the balls are like masculine. Emasculating, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how I interpreted it. But it's gay. I mean, I thought that he was into. I thought he was into Marianne, which I really didn't need that side plot. But yeah, I didn't need that side plot. I thought he was into her, but I was like, this guy has to be into him. Like, I'm failing to see why this man is so special. Is the scrotum thing 
is that like like a ritual? Like why specifically the script? I don't know, but he he like rubbed his face and he was like, I'm gonna leave the face alone. And then they like strapped his head down. I would rather my face than my scrotum. No, I, no, don't, I'd ra- I don't know. No. The Monstrous Feminine is on Apple Podcasts, so please leave us a five-star review and write us a little message. If you do engage with our content, you might just get a shout out in our next episode as our Witch of the Week. This episode, our Witch of the Week is Sasha Molinar, 25, from the US, who left us a five-star review from Apple Podcasts and said, One of my favorites. I came across this podcast on TikTok and binged it in like a week. I absolutely loved it, and they're so smart on their insights and pointed out things I never caught before. They also don't just do analysis on just American horror movies either. As a Japanese American, I seriously appreciate that. I honestly can't wait for their future episodes. That's really That's sweet. That's really sweet. We are smart. I agree. Agree, 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 <laughs> agree, agree. <laughs> My eyes are watering and I'm not sure if it's an emotional crisis or if that was just really sweet. Crying in the club. I'm amazed that people binge us also. Like, you don't get sick of this? Friendly reminder that we're also on Patreon. For one pound a month, you gain access to our Discord. For three pounds a month, you get to hear a cut discussion from our main episodes. And for five pounds, you get all that plus a bonus episode. Please support us. Any contribution helps. So I was going to give a bit of background on the voodoo faith. I mean, I, disclaimer, don't practice voodoo. However, we did interview on our Patreon episode somebody who practices hoodoo, Ariadne Knight. So you should go listen for more of a personal insight and breakdown. But here is my very brief, rough breakdown, which is that Haitian voodoo is an African diasporic religion, which blends traditional voodoo from the kingdom of Dahomey with Roman Catholicism. Mariel's father in this film was a hoongan, and that's a male voodoo priest whose role is to respect and serve the Bondeye, who is the supreme creator, and the Loa, who are the spiritual intermediaries between humanity and the Bondeye. So Mariel says Haiti is 85% Catholic, but 110% voodoo. For us, Zule and the Virgin Mary are the same. So that's actually quite interesting and quite a good summary of it from what I can gather of the internet. So the Loa encompass a collection of Yoruba gods and Roman Catholic saints, and they manifest in themselves and people during voodoo ceremonies, often through spirit possession. So the specific spiritual beings referred to in this film are Azule, which is a family of Loa, but specifically I think this film is talking about Azule Frida, who symbolizes like love, beauty, jewelry, dancing, luxury, flowers, and is often associated with water, or like fluidity and femininity and feminine bodies. And there was a fun queer tidbit. This is all according to Wikipedia. So if it's wrong, girl, I don't know what to tell you. Um, <laughs> which is that during ritual possession, Azule Frida might enter the body of either a man or woman. And she enjoys the game of flirtation and seduces people without distinguishing between like genders. So I thought that was fun. And it just goes to show how much like whenever I like look into any kind of african diasporic religions it's like so much more gay than like all the institutionalized religions (laughs) like there was so much that was lost when with colonialism but anyway now that this is lost it's still very much you know what i mean before we watched these movies or if you had seen these before like what media did you associate with voodoo or like how did you think of it in the ways that you'd been exposed to it 
I think Eve's Bayou because I saw that when I was really young and then there were like people in my family who I knew did voodoo who were like distant relatives and I would hear like family members talking about it so I always heard of it from like that angle and then like as I grew up more I had friends who like became more interested in voodoo and hoodoo so I started to hear more about it from like a religious angle and a spiritual perspective. Honestly only voodoo dolls. I don't think I ever saw specifically voodoo media growing up. Randomly. Cartoons. I think I probably first saw voodoo and voodoo dolls in cartoons. Like I want to say like Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy or something. Those like weird early 2000s cartoons. I guess those my, my associations with it were like always like yeah for like spooky scary things but things that were kind of like funny too. Like they weren't like wholly scary. I I didn't see used by you as a kid but my mom knew a voodoo priestess when I was like growing up and I think I I like met her a couple times when I was a kid but I think my mom like took that like very serious she was like you respect it don't don't mess with it like don't she was like just don't mess with it it's something that you should like not that it's bad or scary but like it's very powerful and dangerous and not something that you want to like take lightly and like if you know somebody who practices it like that's a person that you like respect because they are like very powerful so like that was like ingrained in me just because i knew somebody who was practicing it but otherwise i think also i would have like like, "Mm, yeah that's not something i mess with in the same way that like i don't want to mess but i mess with everything else like ghosts and like ouija boards yeah don't you don't we know it but you don't really i don't think you really mess with it in the same way other people would dismiss it but i know that like it's a closed practice i think that is what i like understood is that like it's not like Something that, like, if I made a voodoo doll in my own whatever, as it, like, I think kids do make voodoo dolls. I totally, out of, out of, like, Play-Doh. They even sell them, actually. They sell them in, like, toy stores and things sometimes. Or they'll be, like, joke shops or, like, things like that. Or they'll be, like, sort of, like, gag gifts, like, voodoo doll of your boss, haha. When I was a kid, it was, like, very similar. Like, my grandma would always, uh, like, warn me about making sure that I was respectful or like didn't offend any family member like when we were in big family gatherings who was practicing yeah it was more of like I think I was kind of like afraid (laughs) to be honest but it's it's because when you're a kid like things are scarier when like people like surround it with the idea of like secrecy and stuff I don't know that type of stuff just scared me when I was younger I'm actually in a very like uh West Indian, Haitian, Caribbean neighborhood right now. And there's a lot of shops that sell like stuff for to do voodoo with. Um, I've never been in any of them. I just like pass them when I walk and like Santeria shops and things like that that are just like around. You could have done firsthand research. Like I don't want to walk in there not knowing nothing. Like I don't want to just walk around and like and like not know what I'm looking for. And just like be be browsing. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I don't know. It would be interesting. I want to talk about the, like, Western medicine versus voodooism divide binary that's created in this film. I thought, like, obviously Dennis represents, like, this huge bio corporation and he's, like, he symbolizes big pharma. Um, And he also, I think as a result of that, has a really binary way of thinking. Um, And he's, like, so, it's so, we, we should really talk about this as well, but he's so, like, kind of patronizing towards Marielle and... He's like, I still have a hard time putting you and all that stuff together. And he expects Marielle to be torn in her beliefs because she's a psychiatrist. And then she says, I assure you, like, there's no conflict between my science and my faith. And she explains that her father was um, a voodoo priest. 
and um, she says there's great beauty and compassion in it and he kind of patronizingly responds with oh yeah I can understand that and then she says later like in Haiti or maybe earlier in Haiti our God is not just in heaven he's in our bodies our flesh and then she kind of he looks at her all seductively even though she's speaking quite sincerely but anyway I think it was a very good like way of showing how like western thinking is so like this or that whereas like diasporic cultures are like way more like open-minded and allow two things to be true at once and yeah so I thought that was interesting and then also the fact that he is looking at her with such a male gaze and this film is very much like there's a colonial male gaze in this film and I feel like it's very much like that a trope in cinema usually action movies I want to say where they'll have like a like really like usually light-skinned but like typical beautiful woman who's like showing them around and like showing them the culture and she's the mediator and often our only our only perspective of voodooism in this film is like through that like romantic or sexualized I should say lens are you you're about to ruin road to El Dorado for me (laughs) I'm sorry I was watching it and I was like this is actually like a trope at this point like so many films to me is like weird because I feel like we're meant to like we're meant to see the Haiti through his eyes and experience voodoo through his eyes as he's looking for this magical powder that works for zombification. But in my opinion, he was the villain in this movie too. You say that as if we're going to disagree. Like, There's yeah, we're like, yeah, he's the, the villain. He's the villain. He's talking to the guy who made the powder when they're on the plane and he's going back to America and he's like, I don't have a thousand dollars anymore. They took all my money. And the, and the guy just says, okay, tell them about me when you get to America. And when he got to America, it wasn't like he was raving about this guy saying, oh, we have to bring him in. He's the only person who has to make it. It was none of that. He, he essentially like reverted back to it, went all into the science, gave him the powder and he was so willing to take advantage of everyone throughout the movie and even how he went about it when he received like the fake powder and drank it in the bar and humiliated the guy in front of all those people and degraded basically and and made his practice look like it was a farce and he did the same thing to Marielle throughout the movie it was really bizarre for this to take like a love story stance to me because it was so clear the entire time that he was looking down on her. And when she's nursing him back to health after he had that weird homoerotic torture scene and they're sleeping in the bed together. And I'm like, when do we miss these people being in like a relationship or having a relationship close enough to where they're sharing a bed and she's bathing him and going out of her way to nurse this man back to health. This makes no sense. It's like, why would she have stake, like stakes this high invested in this man who has not really been that nice to her? It's not like we've ever seen him pay her anything for mediating between him and everyone that she introduces him to. In fact, he accuses her of being a scammer at the beginning and he never apologized for it. It is uncomfortable how quickly often these women from like distant lands in these films become subservient to the white man. <laughs> they make that 180 flip it almost like you're saying Ty it doesn't make sense it's like that doesn't make sense with the character that you introduced us to like she would never turn on her people or like just do whatever that man said because she like got a twang in her panties <laughs> Ew, really I hated up. that gross <laughs> Same it was just they completely made her character go from being a headstrong doctor who's one of three doctors in this psychiatric hospital who's working really hard trying to revolutionize care, cared very much individually about the person 
who was like the the only zombification case. I can't remember his name right now, even though they said it a thousand times in this movie. She cared very much about Kristoff and talked about how he was like a revolutionary figure and that's why they targeted him to make him go from being a, a person people admire to someone they fear. And then, then the next thing we know, she literally doesn't care about anything except for this dude. She just follows him around everywhere. She's sitting there like, with a cold compress on his head being like, my king, what you need? I was like, this man. It's always a cold yeah. compress. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? Like, you, you're right. We've given absolutely no reason to find their, like, there's no reason we should root for their relationship. We see nothing of their bond. It's literally like he's white and she's suddenly in love. No, I feel like the fantasy is like taming a woman. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. You can equate that so like overtly to trying to tame like wild lands and wild people. I didn't realize, well, I realized, but now we're talking about it, how prevalent it is in all yeah. of these similar movies. It goes hand in hand with like the, often with the white anthropologist archaeologist indiana jones type figure who's very like he's this academic but he's also adventurous and like masculine and strong yeah i want to know why because he got lost in brazil they were like oh you're qualified to go like extract like this medical powder from haiti i was like wait because this motherfucker got lost his partly his like partner like not partner romantically but like partner on the mission got killed because they fucked around with a shaman and you're sending this fucker to go get like the timeline between him going to brazil and then getting the job in haiti to me made absolutely no sense i was like how do these things equate to one and the other how are you how is the amazon and haiti similar it did not make sense and they're like yeah you got back to us because your spirit animal Right. A cheetah, a jaguar, whatever, <laughs> guided you out of the rainforest. And I was like, the fuck is going on? When he was doing that, I was like, what in the Joe Exotic is going Even on? Even that was a little bit erotic when he was like rolling around with the jaguar. <laughs> Please. <laughs> a little bit furry. Could we say another cake to add to the I was, list? I didn't, even, I didn't even want to bring it up. But aside from that, it was also just, as you said, Ty, like, like, that was a shaman he visited and like got like and then they like mixed it with like a voodoo um the voodoo the book is like manipulation of the mind and i was like these are like not like this is not similar like we're talking about completely different cultures at the minute um like i don't i don't know why it's literally like anything slightly exotic is like thrown together here and like faith or whatever culture i was sitting there the whole time being like trying to get in west craven's mind like what inspired you sir <laughs> to do that because here's the thing like when ryan murphy does it i'm like i totally understand because you are referencing all kinds of other things like we'll get to it when we get to ahs but it's like you know i see things that remind me of let's say uh like sugar hill i'm like okay that is what inspired something here but the way that Wes craven has done this it's like it's truly it's truly from the recesses of your subconscious and i want to know what was going on when you pitched it when you wrote it when you were like i'm going to haiti like i just that's what i can't wrap my head around yeah i feel like another thing that's weird about this movie is there's that scene where he's saying it went from being a place of peace and paradise to patrols all on the street and i'm like do people know that you can make a movie in a foreign country that's not europe 
specify there where they're not in a civil war or some sort of political conflict i promise you you can do it because in this i feel like part of that horror aspect that they're leaning into is like horror of political unrest but he's in such a position of privilege in the situation because he is an american citizen that he can run to the embassy and peace out and marielle just has to pick up the pieces and when he came back to america and he's like yeah he can get to me anywhere i feel like if he can't get to me he'll get to marielle i'm like you don't care because you're still here like (laughs) i'm struggling to see the true love i'm struggling to see how the stakes for him and her are equal in the movie and it doesn't make sense to me that she would go out of her way to help him find this powder and create it to sell to big pharma he didn't even explain to her any of the positive reasons why he wanted the powder he was just like i have a bunch of money and i'm ready to throw it at it give it give me the powder but every time they asked him the specifically the guy who made the powder every time he would try to negotiate higher with him he would be like four hundred dollars five hundred dollars and i'm like marielle baby girl this man is trying to short chain someone whose product he's going to make billions of dollars off of where is your brain girl yeah, she didn't, she was just so ready to like basic, everyone was just ready to sell out. Like all Mozart wanted was to um, get credit, which also he didn't even get in the end. Like he did not get credit and he got beheaded. Actually in her book, Horror Noir, Dr. Robin Armines Coleman gives a summary of this film. She talks about it very briefly, but she just points out that Lucien, Mozart, Christoph's sister all suffer like extremely violent deaths. Whereas Dennis only has one physical torture scene and the rest is just like psychological. And she comments on, and I quote, the self-sacrificing blacks, end quote, in this movie. And she points out this, the inconsistency, like Marielle's said to be a political radical, but it's made unclear why sleeping with Dennis contributes to the rebellion against the corrupt Haitian ruler at the time. Like, <laughs> so I thought those were all very good points. And Dr. Coleman was talking about this under the guise of like black representation in this film. Um, so basically I would say, to paraphrase, that she's probably given it a bit of a thumbs down. Can we go back to like that? I forget who said it. Like part of the horror is the corruption piece because like there's something so sinister about American filmmakers who place a film in another country solely to focus on the like chaos and corruption and discord of that place and do not have moments of like self-reflection like the u.s is so corrupt right like we can't sit here on our high horse and keep making films where like the core of (laughs) the chaos and some is the only reason something is in another country is because of like the horrific things we expect to find there whether that be zombies or political unrest or violence or what have you like these are not like sites of horror right like or sites of like sexual promiscuity or sites of whatever you find there. Like it just feels like very weird, violent and sexual tourism that's just like exists in a fantasy world that we know to not be Haiti, but be like the mind of whatever filmmaker. And it's not, it's just like, it's very strange. It's not to say that these things don't exist in the world. It's just to say that like, they are not at any more extreme scale in the places that in, in your imagination than they are like, within your own government or within your own society. (laughs) It makes it so much worse because in these movies, they never, they never will use a character that is Haitian or is wherever the plate film is set. They never use someone from that culture for the audience to see 
the location, the setting, the conflict's eyes through. It's always like a white outsider who goes in and we see them film through their eyes. And it makes it so much worse because in these situations, the person's always in like this position of, I can just be plucked out of this whenever I want. Like I'm here voluntarily. I could leave whenever I want and nothing will happen to me and you could all suffer. So it makes it so weird to me that, yeah, it's set in a, a horror film because in this instance it's not even just like the weird stuff like that Argo movie Ben Affleck made <laughs> or <laughs> this one is like oh this is so horrific that all of this is happening and that secret police can pick you up off the street and beat you up and throw you in front of your house the next day but also I can just dip out whenever I want and forget about everyone I met here sell this make a bunch of money and go on with my life mm -hmm. and like this isn't a horror for him this is just an experience i was about to say like what uh, what allows people to make those movies and pretend that like this is something that happens elsewhere is they must also be from a place of privilege within their own country where they are not afraid of their own police where they believe they don't live in a police state like you also have to like believe that those things exist elsewhere to make those kinds of movies where the outsider has to go somewhere else to see things like that. I was gonna say, should we say what the historical background of this film is, is that, that it was set in 1986 during the anti-Duvalier protest movement, which saw a series of demonstrations in Haiti from 1984 to 1986 that led to the overthrowing of President Jean-Claude Duvalier and the Duvalier dynasty regime. And uh, he had taken over from his father in the 1971 and his father had been president since 1957. So I think it was like overthrowing like this family. And he'd had like the father had declared himself president for life and amended the Haitian constitution. So that would happen. And the protests were about um, the like excessive state violence and rising food costs. So that's like the moment in which this film is set. And then when they were filming, I think there was still unrest going on. Um, so they didn't really film in, in Haiti. I remember I was reading a... Uh, Roger Ebert review and he noted that he thinks that this film treats Haitian voodoo seriously as a religion, a way of life, and an occult circle that does possess secrets unexplored by modern medicine. Um, and basically is like noting that it's a more positive portrayal of voodooism. And I'm like, I guess in the way, like the way Marielle talks about it is like complimentary and like not you know what I mean? Like she, like how she explains it. It's respectful how she talks about it. But then I'm like, oh, but it's kind of undone by the whole exoticism of like the betrayal of it and his like, like we said, colonialist sexualized gaze on voodooism. What she's describing is not demonstrated, right? Like she's saying that this is, okay, we, we, there's no difference between our faith and our science and we use it for all kinds of things. It's not just for violence or revenge or what have you. And then we proceed to just see it used for violence and revenge. Maybe I'm, I, I, I saw it like quite like a little bit ago. So I'm not remembering if there's any examples of like them using it for medicine or them using it for just day-to-day <laughs> -day practices which you would do the voodoo priest that he visits i believe like tries to protect him like put like protection kind of it's very loose like you and then obviously he um he gets killed like very shortly after where the scorpion appears in his mouth so because of the bakor who's doing the voodoo magic behind the scenes so it was a bit like yeah it's only ever used in this film as a mechanism for horror for sure Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Feminine. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Spotify at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast, and on Twitter at The Mon Femme Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and follow us on TikTok at The Monstrous Feminine Pod. Brooms up, which is out.